time. Good evening, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. You are on the other side of midnight, Richard C. Hoagland's other side of midnight, and I am your guest host, Andrew Curry, for tonight's affair. We have a really big show for you. It's something that I've wanted to do for a very, very long time. Um, a good friend of mine, part of the Enterprise Mission Imaging Crew, Keith Laney, is our guest tonight. Uh, and our show is called Celestial Divining, Anomaly Hunter's Journey. And as we get into the show, you'll begin to understand why I was really intrigued to get this this one off the ground. It's been a while um, and on that note, I wanted to, to say um, Richard's doing really well um, behind the scenes. He's doing a lot of research right now. He really appreciates the, the well wishes from everyone. And he is letting us know he will be back soon. So um, the ship's captain will return. But in the meantime, we're going to keep helping out here and filling in. And yeah, so tonight it's, it's me. Now, I want to start uh, by introducing Keith uh, with his bio. So if everybody could go to our homepage, which is the other side of midnight.com, and if you click on the show banner, again, it's called Celestial Divining, an Anomaly Hunter's Journey with Keith Laney, uh, you'll see this lovely graphic that Keith made up for us. And I'm going to read his bio because what I want to do is kind of go over some space news and I'm going to have Keith kind of join in with us, and we're going to get right off the bat and, and discuss some um, uh, these issues. So let me read this out. Uh, Keith Laney is a space image processing and anomalies specialist from Charlotte, North Carolina. He's a husband, a father, grandfather, artist, copper master, amateur space scientist, and avid promoter and supporter of space exploration. The primary passion of his life, after about half of the above, is space imaging. His work has been featured by NASA, mainstream news organizations, and planetary anomaly lovers the world over. Keith hosts a privately unequaled online collection of space imaging, planetary curiosities, his own writings, and music, which has just celebrated its 13th anniversary. And his website is called thehiddenmission.com. So Keith, without any further ado, welcome. Hi, Andrew. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing really well. I'm so happy to do this. Finally, <laughs> we've been talking about this forever. For everybody yeah. out, yeah, for everybody out there, you know, we do this like literally. You know, we have a lot of discussions in the back channels, and we have you know meetings, and we find new anomalies. And well, Keith is the one that does it, and he sets us all on fire. And I've said to him one time when we were doing. It was one night at two in the morning. I'm going, you know, we should be recording this. This would be good. This would be a great show. And he goes, he started laughing. And well, we finally got here. Keith. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's taken a while, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really wanted to bring you on because, um, you know, we have a, a, a great crew here. Uh, Richard is sort of our maestro. I mean, we're all independent researchers in our own right. And Keith, you know, you've been at it for a long, long time along with Richard and I know Will has, has been at it for a while and, and, you know, Tim and I are probably a little bit newer. We bring sort of a different skill set. Kinthea, you know, Mama Marsh, she's been around a long time. Bob, he has, he, you know, since his retirement from the, uh, from his, his sort of trade, he, uh, he too has been going at it for a very, very long time. And Ron Gerbron, who's there in the background is another one that's, you know, been plying his trade. So there's, you know, a few of us here, uh, but, you know, Keith, you're kind of like the – you and Richard are kind of like the heart and soul of this thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that I, I've noticed, and I know we've talked about this, and it was sort of Richard's words, is that he goes, you know, space anomaly. In other words, the images coming in from all of our different space agencies across the world, for a lot of people the world over, as you know, with your Facebook site – you want to say the name of it because you've changed it. Yeah, it's uh, Lunar Anomalies and Planetary Oddities. Yeah, and what we've found is that there are people from all over the world who are getting into seeing these images, which are coming in from you know, the Japanese, the Indians, the Chinese, ESA, the European Space Agency, of course, NASA. And it's showing us the most unusual things in our local solar system. And yeah, Keith, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, well, yeah, it's kind of a coming of age 
you know, um, it's not just us crazy Americans and then just a tiny subset of us. You know, we've got the whole world looking at uh, looking at this sort of stuff um, because it's interesting. You know, the, the origins of our species and how we got to where we are. You know, that's that's not only is it interesting, it's of prime importance for us to know. Well, what is it? It's it's um. There's a very famous saying, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to completely blank out on it, but it's essentially – well, the gist of it is if you don't understand your own history or you take a people's history away, you don't have a future. You don't know where you are. You can't ground yourself or place yourself in a context. You could only fill in the blanks now from whatever is being fed your way, and we're going to talk about these issues, Keith. We're going to talk about this disconnect that happens on so many levels. Um, but right now, I want to turn everybody's attention to um, some space news, and the reason why I wanted to bring Keith in right away is because I want him to make comments about what I want to kind of go through. Um, this week has been kind of a busy week in space news, so I want everybody to go to um, my item. So if again, if you go to the show banner, Celestial Divining, an Anomaly Hunter's Journey, and you go, there's a little link there that says Return to Main Show Page, and then there's fast links to items. So if you click on mine, it's Andrew. Just click on that. Uh, so this is on the other side of midnight.com. Go to the show banner, click on Andrew's items. And the first item that comes up is, uh, well, it's happening tonight. I don't know. I get maybe it's happening right now. It says giant asteroid with its own moon to pass by Earth this weekend. And if you click on that MSN article, there is a little description here. And it's basically, a, Keith, it's a binary system, right? It's a, a, an asteroid with its own moon. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be passing how close to Earth? Uh, it's going to be several times the distance from the Earth to the Moon. Right. Uh, it's not in 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 our terms. It's not even anywhere near close, but astronomically, it's real close. Right. But isn't it interesting how we have this? Um, well, I'm calling it a bit of a meme, or at least a theme that's going out there. In and this is in light of the recent announcement by both ESA the European Space Agency and NASA um, of possibly starting to do what they're calling exercises in terms of what would happen if our planet was threatened by something coming from outer space. In other words, you know, an asteroid. And isn't it interesting that we have one that, as you say, is comfortably far away from us, that it it won't pose a, a problem. But in this article, they talk about, you know, these are threats. These are things that could happen. And you know, it, it brings to mind – well, I want to talk about two things about this article, but it brings to mind um, the commentary or the, 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 the dis- disclosure by Dr. Carol uh, Rosen, who was the personal secretary of, of uh, Werner von Braun, the famous American you know, father of rocketry who got you know, the Apollo mission going back in the 60s. Um, she basically had a series of – uh, what is it, Keith? Statements where there was all these warnings that were going to happen, and the second to last warning for humanity was the possibility of threats from outer space being like asteroids. And as we get this kind of talk now, we now get these concepts around building space platforms in our local space. And well, we know what that means, Keith, don't we? Once you have the high ground, whether it's you know satellites. Or on the moon, uh, well, control of the Earth is pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, it's a it's a very interesting. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm being speculative here, right? Because these are possibilities. We talked about this, you and I, and 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 some of our crew, that there are ever so often threats to Earth that come from, you know, the deeper deeper parts of space, and maybe these are regular occurrences. So it's not a um, it's not a jest. This is a real thing. But isn't it interesting, Keith, how we have all of these interwoven stories coming together? And on top of it, on this particular story, this um, asteroid known as 1999 KW4, Keith, what is the shape of like? <laughs> it's diamond-shaped, just like little Ryugu and just like little Bennu. Uh, and it's kind of amazing the way that those are turning up. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're raising the specter of the, the boogie from outer space. You yes. know, it's it's coming. They're raising the fear level, you know. Uh, but you know that's the way they motivate us to <laughs> give them the permission to do things is by making us fear. Yeah. Uh, well, at least they think that's the proper motivation. It's it's really not. You need to inspire instead. 
Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's what they're raising the specter of the boogeyman from outer space in order to justify great big buildup, and it's, it's really for other matters, and we know this. But the point is, we need to be out there. Uh, we need to uh, reassume our mantle, um, be where we were, uh, where we started to be in the 70s. That's right. Um, you know. Yeah and, on, yeah, and on that note, um, if we go to my second item, it's called the Artemis Mission. Uh, Keith, do you want to talk about this a little bit? If you click on that, it says – okay, I'll, I'll, I'll read it out real quick. So it's NASA unveils a schedule for the Artemis 2024 moon mission, um, and this is going to be a series of, of – I think eight – it says here eight launch scheduled launches and a mini station in lunar orbit by 2024. Mm-hmm. And of course, Keith, you want to tell us what Artemis means? Well, you know, Artemis is uh, is Apollo's sister. That's right. And she's the goddess of the moon. Yeah. Uh, it's equivalent to the Roman Diana. Um and Sibylle in in the past in the you know, in the prior religions to that or but um yeah, we you were drawing some interesting parallels between uh, Artemis and on Superman and, and you know Zod and them because that's the first thing that they destroyed. Yeah. They came back was a base was a was a fictional in Superman that is. Yeah, named Artemis. Yeah, it's very interesting. Richard brought that up. He was the one that pointed out and said, "You guys, you're not seeing this." And we're like, yep. "What?" And then and again, if you go to my if you click back on on my links, there's a YouTube um, little link there that shows a clip from Superman. So in Superman two, it was a 1980 film. Uh, with Christopher Reeves as Superman, and it was the follow-up. I think 1978 was the original Keith. I think I believe it was. Um, anyways, this is when uh, basically the three sort of supervillains, General Zod, Ursula, excuse me, and um, Non, were basically broken out of the Phantom Zone, which was like this ultra-dimensional, you know, um, jail that they were stuck in for their crimes back on Krypton. But when Krypton blew up. I think it shattered whatever the, the the portal to it was, and they were released, and that's sort of how the movie began. Anyways, they fly over to the moon, and they tear apart not, – not, not even knowing their power at this point, but they tear apart this moon mission, which was actually a joint mission between the Russians. At that time, it would have been the Soviet Russians and the United States, and when we finally get back to um, sort of NASA control, the mission is called Artemis, and isn't this interesting? Keith, uh, did we not have a report just recently? Uh, was it? I can't remember which. It was um, one of your senators, I believe, and he talked about the need for the for the. Um, um, oh, now it's escaping me. The um, Trump's space force uh, to battle pirates <laughs> to battle off, yeah, space pirates, or like you know, like you know. I mean, I mean, again, if if, if we are going to start sort of doing asteroid mining, going back to the moon, on to Mars and beyond. Well, of course, there's going to be other forces at work that might have ulterior motives and maybe not, you know, nasties. But isn't it interesting that the three characters from the Superman film are dressed like pirates? I mean, they're... they're, they're And and the Christopher Reeves version, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the Christopher Reeves, exactly. So we have all of these stories that are floating out, so many more space stories that are pointing humanity to look up and, and to you know imagine but at the same time like you said Keith be afraid be very very afraid and and it's uh yeah it's it's a bit disconcerting because it is an exciting time where as you said right off the top of the show we are going to reclaim our heritage which we believe via the imageries that or the imagery that we're receiving from all of our space agencies and which we're going to start looking at tonight. And we have many times in the past, but you're bringing new material and I brought some stuff piggybacking off of you that demonstrates to us, or at least to some of us that we're sitting in the remnants of, of a glorious civilization or multiple civilizations within our own local space. Right. While city desperately searches out among the stars for you know the, the faint signals that they're never going to be able to reconcile as being anything other than might bees, and we're steadily looking at archaeology that's in our yeah. backyard. Uh, oh. Yeah, and it's uh, it's quite a shock, you know, once you realize the implications of it. But yeah, that's that's what we're looking at, you know. Yeah, 
and it's something that we're going to review tonight. And, you know, for those that are new to the show, for those that are new to the other side of midnight uh, and sort of the premise of, of what we talk about, it, it, it is informed speculation. I mean, until we actually get there, it is, it is photographic archaeology for us and for those who are interested in, in this sort of alternate field of study. But it is piling up the evidence and it is becoming – well, Keith, it's just becoming so big and so undeniable, and it's amazing to me that this material does not break into mainstream unless it's a woo-woo, silly story. Do you want to say something about that? Oh, oh yes. They've on, they only release it as long as they have their little tongue-in-cheek caveat, you know, that ha-ha, you know, but these yeah. guys are just nuts. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, got to either, it's got to either be a straw man and totally defeatable, in other words, bogus. And then it gets all the exposure in the world. Uh, but if it's something that's real or something that's factual or something that might make some sense or might change some minds, no, it's, it's kind of obscured, hidden, and not promoted. And I, you know, I think this is such a shame because you know, being a species with collective amnesia, mm. uh, sitting amongst its former broken toys, <laughs> you know, that just seems pretty ludicrous to me. Um, but you know, you got to wonder if there's some sort of system of control, and and you know, there's a timeline being played out, as we've heard so often before. That you know, that they're only going to let out what what they feel people will be ready for, and that lowers us all to a common denominator that is far below many of our levels. And yeah. so, therefore, we we serve a purpose in in going to that level for those who are of that mindset. And, you know, I've, I've always been of that mindset. Uh, I think I was born thinking that there's some strange stuff going on around us, you know, and with the desire to look for it. And, yeah. And we're going to go over that. And it's funny on the heels of what you just said, I want everybody to go to my fourth item, um, which I found absolutely fascinating this week. So there's a new report saying an astounding amount of water has been discovered beneath the Martian North pole. Um, this is amazing. In the, I, I won't go. I won't read the article, but it's a Gizmodo article, and essentially, with this gr using a ground-penetrating radar, scientists have detected a massive reservoir of frozen water sandwiched between layers of sand beneath the northern polar ice cap of Mars. Well, isn't that interesting? And they say that if we, if it was to melt, it would submerge the planet. What? You know what gets me too, though, Andrew, is this is being called up as news, but I distinctly remember hearing this same thing over a decade ago. Oh, interesting. Uh, yes, when they were talking, they were talking about if they took, uh, they found a huge uh, subsurface ice deposit under the pole, and they said it was enough water to cover Mars in two foot of water. Huh. And uh, you know this was this was years ago, and it, it kind of fell on it, it kind of fell on many deaf ears because at the time we were having the argument: oh, is there is there a drop of water on Mars? Which we all, which you know, uh, us with any with any insight into this uh, into this endeavor would know because we saw Viking images of snow, uh, <laughs> which they tried to explain as a couple microns thick, but yeah. was actually in 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 little small uh, uh what you call it snow banks or little small you could actually see where it had drifted where the snow had drifted a little right, right, around right. some of the rocks yeah and so a couple of micron snow does not drift uh you know up to be like you know two or three centimeters deep around rocks and and very thin around the leading edges where wind blows it off you know uh that's a property that snow does when it's actually falling out of the sky and, pil and piling up. Uh, but since then, we've found score after score after score of water-caused water features on Mars, enough so where they you know, they said, oh, yeah, well, periodically, you know, some of it melts and breaks loose and floods down the side of a gully. <laughs> it, took them, it took them forever to even admit that, you know, because it was yeah. always there's not a drop of water. It's so dry that, you know. Right. It's so you know it's just so powder dry and it's got the poofy dust and you know yeah. you can't see through it and we just don't know you know whole whole world is just covered with this poofy dust and we can't see through it. Uh, never mind what our what all our instruments are telling us. We're telling you that it's got poofy dust on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Keith, that's the thing is that we're we're it's like it's being reignited 
you know, almost rebooted to get humanity interested in all things space, especially the moon and Mars, which has always been the pathway out. Um, you know, further in this article, they talk about, well, with this kind of water potentiality on Mars, future colonists would have a water supply for all various living needs and for rocket fuel. And yet in another article that you read from, you know, from our scientific um, literature and, and, our, and our mainstream, it, they say, oh, no, 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 there's too much radioactivity to be able – is it radioactivity, Keith, or is there too much um, – like it would be too you, – you, the exposure to radio, radioactivity would be too oh, high. Yes. Because, uh, but if it, and then if it wasn't for – it wasn't that. It was all – it's the perchlorates. It's the – Right. Uh, <laughs> the soil yeah. is poisonous. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and, then, and then we have another one. Oh, well, hey, look. We have we have an analog to Martian soil, and we're growing potatoes in it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so what is it, guys and gals? I, uh, right. I, I think it's a, it's like an air on the side of caution. Um, but to me, it sounds like being uh, being uh, being so scared – of the cool of the water that you won't even dip your toe in, you know, to see if, you know, it's all right. If you just jump in, I'm going to just go ahead and jump in, man. You'll be used to it in a minute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's a little chill, right? Right yeah. away. And then you're, you're fine. Right. In fact, the invigoration of, I mean, that's one of the hey, that's a popular thing going on nowadays. I don't know if you noticed over the winter is that more and more people are discovering how wonderful it is to dive into freezing cold water and come leaping out it's it's it really invigorates it's it's becoming this huge big trend which has always been in the northern northern countries and in europe for you know forever but listen i want to go to my one more link that again bridges on this idea of inviting humanity to mars so if we go to my number five it's called nasa get your boarding pass and if you click on that Keith, you'll love this. I think I had posted this on, on Lunar Anomalies and Planetary Oddities. And if, if everybody goes there, I mean, you, you can do it now or you can do it later, but I'm going to read this out. It says, NASA's Mars 2020 rover is heading to the red planet. Submit your name by September the 30th, 2019, and fly along. And you can fill in your first name and last name in your country, your postal code, and your email. And you also get frequent flyer points. And send my name to Mars as the last caption. Keith, they're selling it. I know a sell job, man. I am a storyboard artist by trade. I'm an artist by trade, but what my, the skill that I've been doing for the last you know, 10, 15 years in, in huge redundancy <laughs> to pay the bills has been storyboarding, both in film and television and in advertising. And this is what I'm seeing is I'm seeing this huge program of selling, and people are happily getting their boarding pass for this. Now, it's just – more symbolic in in this sense, but what do you make of it, Keith? Well, yeah, of course that's a you know that is a way to get the public involved, and they have been they've kind of been doing that for a little while. You know, they were they've been you know the, I'm pretty sure that we have craft in that have uh, that have discs on them that have everybody's name on them that contributed to it, and uh, you know they've been kind of doing that because it's a way to involve the public. But another that's way right. they've been another way they've been involving like uh. Like with the Cirrus Rex mission at Bennu, mm. uh, here recently, you know, we just had an article posted that I wish it would have got into the art to the articles to talk about, and it didn't. Um, but we can still talk about it anyway because they've uh, they're calling on citizen scientists to come help them to map the surface of Bennu. You know, they're they're going over it in detail, taking taking fine photographs of it, and what they're looking for is a place to put Cirrus Rex down to take a little sample and bring back. But the but the this little this little asteroid is rough as a cob. Um, but they're wanting uh, you know the citizen scientists to go in and and circle uh, old craters uh, to map out the large and small boulders. And I mean each each image takes a while too. So this is pretty detailed work that mm -hmm. you know NASA themselves is asking the public for help doing. Wow, uh, that is. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that you know the outreach programs that they do. I mean, for years, and a lot of people don't know this, but for years they've been allowing us to point the the satellites. Starting with MGS, they've been allowing us to point the satellites. If you're involved enough to find out where the program is and join and figure out how to use their interface and know a know a a, a neat little bit about the uh, geography of Mars, right. uh, and you know, so you can. Uh, Actually, locate the things that you're looking for and point the camera 
but yeah, you know, I've been I've been having pictures returned from our satellite the satellites around Mars for gosh for decades now. You know, ever since Mars Global Surveyor. Yeah, do so you want to explain that, Keith? Do you want to explain that? Like, what just to make it more clear to people? Like, so you've actually done what you just summarized right there, right? You've actually I point the camera and then still do. And found I mean found all kinds of wonderful things with these with, with this great technology that we've sent to to do just that. We've sent this stuff to Mars to look. You know, it's up to us how we interpret and how we use the data that they're sending back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the craft are good; they do their job. So, do you um, do you think this is a what 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 um, Richard would call a creeping disclosure? Do you think that like getting citizen scientists involved, getting people with their you know their well, well sure. If I had I not had I not got involved in that matter, I wouldn't have found and and know the things that I know. Found the things I found, and uh, have that deeper knowledge of. The secret things that are out there, the things that you know they put in our face that you know you might not really notice firsthand, but when you take a closer look, you're like, oh, hey, this is something entirely familiar to us, and you know this is not just rocks and and shadow and play of light. This, you know, there are things here. Well, and that's the thing is that I think it's really important, and I know not everybody can do it depending on when they're listening. I mean, we had a one of the gentlemen, and I'm I'm sorry, sir, I forgot your name. <laughs> But he was so wonderful because he goes, I, I listen to the show, The Other Side of Midnight, um, when he goes to work there and back every day. He lives in, in the States, and I can't remember where. And he was so gracious with his, his compliments to us here, filling in for Richard. And But you know, obviously when he's driving, he can't look at the images. And what I'm saying is that it's so important, especially in a show like this. We're really image-heavy tonight. It's really important that even if you're only listening to our voices now and maybe taking in – what we're talking about at some point have a look at the images it's absolutely critical that you do you cannot make assumptions just based on what we're saying you really have to pair it with what we're talking about and so it's really important um you know to join club 19.5 that's the club that supports wholly and singly supports this show um you know for a price of like a couple of lattes you can have full access to all the shows for the last what is it keith about four years now that we've been doing this or richard's been doing this yes it's it's pretty extensive uh the the amount of material that's been covered and it's in those archives and it's the the plethora of guests that have been on the show yeah i mean you know it it makes it worth it i'm you know i'm a member i've been a member for years um the and you know, even though a lot of it's my stuff, you know, I don't, it, it, the the important part is the is the to be part of something, you know, yeah. to be a part of a movement, or you know, because everybody wants that little part of something, you know, especially something that's going to be that, that's successful, and this is successful because this is in the topic, it's 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 in the public psychic now. You know, it's public psyche, excuse me, now. And, uh, you know, they're pushing it. They're, you know, where before it was restrictive, yeah. now they're like, hey, let's all go to Mars, you know. Yeah. Got Buzz, Aldrin, your boarding pass. Yeah. Bu- Buzz Aldrin's old butt in on it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you guys go, you know, we should have done this and we, we should have never stopped, you know. Well, yeah, yeah well, of course we should have never stopped. Imagine where we'd be now if, if we would have cared, we would have went straight from Apollo to Artemis and, and on down the Pantheon. With yeah. missions, uh, you know, right now. I mean, that's what I was counting on. That was for the, one of the reasons I chose to be born at this particular time in the world because that's what we would be doing. And I get here, and they kind of just stop. I mean, grr, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was just talking with my with my mother on the phone for gosh, for you know, I have these I have these hours and hours long phone calls with my mother. It's probably the only person in the world other than the, the Enterprise crew that I talked to for hours on the phone. I, I'm going to cut you off right there. We're about to come on a break. Okay. Sorry to, we'll come back. You are on the other side of midnight.com, and I am your guest host tonight, Andrew Curry. My guest is Keith Laney, and we will be back shortly. Yeah. 
Anybody in the alternative field, you can hear this all the time. You can see it in um, communications all the time with, with the researchers. That it's really tough to keep going, keep this stuff afloat. It's not mainstream yet, although it's getting there. And we'll talk about some of that tonight, but it is tough. And I want you guys out there, those new listeners that are coming in, those that are going to come throughout the night, which I will mention is, is to think about very much joining Club 19.5. Now, what it gives you access to is all of the broadcasts that Richard has done since, I believe, 2015 um, up until now. And there's been a few of us guest hosts that have come in and helped out when, when we, you know, when he's needed us, you know, et cetera. And that's, not only that, but you get perks that will that we've started, and we're going to do more, just to keep it on the air. In Richard's case, he's a researcher, and he comes in twice a week working on this show. And right now, he needs a bit of time for himself. So that's one thing I want you to think about. Another one is the donate button. It's on the homepage, um, the other side of minute.com. It's on the homepage. You can find it there. Please, in your hearts, think about a contribution, whatever you can manage. Would be so helpful. You can find the button also on each page on the left-hand column. Um, it's, it's at the top. And if you're using your phone, you should be able to find that on your navigation. And welcome back, everybody. You're on the other side of midnight.com, Richard C. Hoagland's other side of midnight.com. And I am your guest host tonight, taking Richard's captain's chair comfortably, I may add. Watch out, Richard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And um, yeah, our host tonight is Keith Laney, who is um, an independent um, and a space anomalous researcher, also part of our enterprise crew. Uh, who we convene sometimes and have shows on. And, and I um, had this idea for quite a while based on a lot of our discussions that we have sort of behind the scenes, sort of privately. And I've often said to Keith, man, you know, we bring out stuff. We should make this a show. And and so we finally worked it in, found a spot that worked for, for all of us. And again, in support of, of Richard, as he works in the back channels, you know, busily, busy bee guy there. He is very much a researcher, first and foremost, and a, and a writer, and a, and, a, and a wonderful one. And this leads me directly to um, sort of the premise of the show. I would like everybody go to the other side of midnight.com, and you'll see there on the homepage our show banner. It's called Celestial Divining, an Anomaly Hunter's Journey, and it's about Keith Laney. And I want to read to you our little write-up here. And this will lead us right into um, talking about Keith, getting a little more in-depth. Oh, by the way, that music that was playing as our bumper music is Keith. I mentioned that at the top of the show in Keith's bio, that he also is a musician. He used to have a band. I, he may still. <laughs> we, might, we might talk about that, too. And uh, it actually leads us into some really interesting areas I hope to talk about later on. Um, in terms of the nature of reality, actually, uh, maybe towards the end of the show, we might bounce back on something we talked about, uh, you know, maybe a couple months ago now. Uh, anyways, I want to read this, uh, this description we had tonight. Um, if I can find it. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here we go. Ever since I saw Richard C. Hoagland on CNN showing the face on Mars, I was hooked. Keith Laney. As a youth from a military family, Keith eagerly explored the ruins and castles of Europe. His curiosity led him to a deeper understanding of messages the stones and spirits would tell. Keith's thirst for exploration eventually found expression in his professional satellite imagery work. And to this day, a hunger for discovery continues with the study of space anomalies. Keith, 25 years plus of divining space anomalies and and you know let's let's explain to everybody what what why why we came up with, with this title i mean 25 years is a lifetime man mm -hmm. um you want to launch yourself into this 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I need to need to continue. I know I was talking about my mother a minute ago, and she's probably mm. listening. I better finish this, or I'll be in trouble. We were talking earlier, and and she reminded me that she's the one that sat my little butt down in diapers to watch to watch uh, Apollo ten. Uh, oh. Go around the go around the moon and Apollo eight actually to go around the moon, and uh, and that we sat and you know the various places that we were um, around the world when these missions were taking place and where we watched them at and I thought that was a wonderful thing you know because it, it spans generations uh, it started with me with uh, with a mother who cared to sit her child down and say watch this son this is important. You know, this is, you know, this is history being made here. And, you know, a man for a kid to watch those astronauts walking around on the moon. And, you know, God, I remember, I remember when it got up to like Apollo 17. Yeah, I even had the little Tang lunar rover, you know, that came on the side. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. even had one of those, you know, watched and and watched those missions. And it it is the, it it is us that, that turn our children and others onto the wonder of this, that, that got it started in the first place. You know, it could have just been a super secret, uh, you know, government mission using using you know, the highest qualified military men to go there and not say anything about anything. But you know, we managed to watch it, and so we were infected at an early age. And uh, and it's just it's good it's good to see it grow. And you know, now it's up to you know, man, we're going to go to Mars. We're going to go back to the moon. And where would he, we have been now had we not stopped? You know. Mm. Well, there's always that argument that there is a secret space um, program that's been in operation, you yeah, know, since. But, it, but it's speculative argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you got to go with you got to go with the concrete, because you can say there's a this and there's a that. But the good the the, the thing is though, they're not sharing that with us. That's if true. They have one. Yeah. So this is what they are sharing with us. So, being a realist, and and you know, you just have to go with what you have in your hands. Mm-hmm. Well, Keith, you mentioned, um, and I mentioned in the in the sh- in the show description, uh, you sort of your your past as a as a military kid. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? The reason why, folks, I I wanted to bring this part up is because for me, in Keith, we see someone who, like right from the get go, has had exposure li- literally to ruins, human ruins that we know of. I mean, it's castles in Europe, basically. Um, but it was that sort of exposure and sort of wandering through these these I mean I'll let him talk about it, but this is sort of what began his you know the intrigue for him and the, his sort of you know his desire to keep looking deeper and, and to discover this stuff and and do you want to take it from there like yeah. where, where as a military child et cetera well, sure you know it's, it's, during the Cold War you know we we kept our military presence up around the world, and especially especially in Europe, because Germany was divided, and you had East Germany being, uh, you know, um, the communist and the Russians, and they were always, you know, always scared of a further communist excursion, excursion into Russia. I mean, into Europe at the time, and so I mean, we had all of our nukes up under us at the base where we were staying. It's a hollowed out. It's a hollowed out uh, cave system under Permisons where uh, NATO happened to store most of the nuclear weapons sure. in Europe at the time. And you know, unbeknownst to all of us being kids, you know, I, mean, I yeah. just lived I just lived in a, in the housing area up on top of the hill. We didn't know any better, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't know what was under. <laughs> Uh, but you know, we we traveled around the around the world like this. You know, every every three or four years, we were moving to another post, uh, a different place, and it gave me a perspective of of change, of seeing all the different aspects of things. You know, seeing seeing different architecture from around the world, and and also the chance in Europe to see that architecture in its absolute ruined state, whether it's old. You know, we, I make a lot about castles because I did. I mean, I, I'm a castle I'm a castleholic. Uh, I, I love the feudal legends. I love the I love the culture about it. I mean, I go to the Renaissance festivals. Uh, uh, when I was in Germany, I climbed through all these castles, man. And when we had them within walking distance from where I lived, um, I lived there for a little while in a little a, a little hamlet called Donseders, and it's a basically a it's a little farming village in the middle of a bunch of farm fields, surrounded by the picturesque and scenic. German, right. German countryside, and I have been a bunch of places in the world, but I can tell you Germany is probably one of the most beautiful, especially the Rhineland Falls area. 
mm. where I was because it's like a it's like a mashup between the Rocky and the Appalachian Mountains. So whereas you have Appalachian style rolling hills mm-hmm. with great big red rocks sticking up out of it, and the vegetation in the area is just uh, I mean it, it's like fairyland. It's it's that pretty. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get lost in the woods, or I could get lost in the woods and stay. But it wasn't just so much the castles and stuff, but it was the it was the human ruins from World War II that were kind of still left when I was there. Oh, uh, yeah. Be uh, I I made this. You know, I mean, I've been to castles and I've seen where you know you had a what was once a great big stately manor house, and it was just as fancy as it could be with Renaissance architecture. And it, they've been through countless wars. You know, they've been through the Farmers' War and uh, countless fights and feuds between, you know, internally within the German state itself. And, uh, you know, this lord fighting that lord, and then the empire, the emperor coming in and, and wiping out everybody. But, you know, these castles have taken a lot of damage and a lot of neglect over time. And, uh, and I remember, you know, I mean, not only is it that, there are also Roman ruins all scattered about the area that I've seen also. And uh, one place in particular that was a contrast to this was a, was a place in Germany called Zweibrücken. And in, in Zweibrücken, we, there was a set of Roman ruins that were there. It's a Roman uh, ancient Roman settlement was there. Then you had a brand new city of Zweibrücken that they built after the war because uh, Zweibrücken was bombed flat being an industrial center. Uh, it was it was bombed flat, and so you had the you know several hundred year old uh, five story row house architecture of Europe that was existing there that was bombed flat, and so you got all that pile of ruin, and uh, you know, and you, your city's just been devastated by Allied bombing. You don't have rescue squads to dig in all the buildings and get all the all the remains and so forth out of them of all the people that perished in the in these attacks so they kind of bulldozed it all over and built a new city on top of it and in places there are margins around the town where there are berms where you can still see the old wreckage and it was still fresh in construction when i was there as a child and i got the chance to explore some of it and it it kind of struck me when i realized that the that the stuff i was looking through was was you know human remains in in the bottom in the bottoms of gob piles. So you would have a big stone here, you would have a you know you would have a big piece of stone here, you'd have masonry here, a large piece of cornice here, a statue here, and it's all just shattered, scattered. There's a baby doll laying there, and a wheel from a carriage sticking out of you know a dirt pile, and uh, you know it's the wreckage of humanity. And I didn't get that feeling again. <clears throat> Of that I got when I realized what I was what I was exploring through as a child, I, I didn't get that feeling again until I looked through the images of Mars. Oh, you know, and it's also the medieval stuff is the same way. Like you know, you go through the castle, and it's like I said that there's been wars and constant feuds going on within this castle for since the 800s. <laughs> you know, yeah. And it's been shot through with cannons. It's been struck by lightning. It's been burnt down. It's been rebuilt, you know, several times. And there's pieces laying everywhere. And you're looking at the at the wreckage, and even in the Roman ruins, and it's all shattered. And you're like, you know, this will never go back together again. But you can tell that it was something. You know, this was a remain. This is not, yeah. So it's made out of stone. A lot of stuff is made out of stone because it's the it's a very durable building material, and it's readily available to you know here yeah. here on Earth. Yeah. So of course it's made out of stone. And why would Mars not be if it was a world that was built up upon layer upon layer of civilization, just like Earth was? They went through their castle phase. They went through their pyramid phase, and ob- obviously so, and more of it. Right. Well, and we see that, Keith. We see that in like Gale Crater, where Curiosity, the Curiosity Rover is, oh, you know. Uh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. The, where the, that is. The, the, the jumble and the mumble of, 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 of what looks like recognizable stuff. I mean, it's in a horribly decayed state. It's, it's worn down over, over the, you know, the, 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 the winds and sands that beat down on it, like, like um, you know, literally just wearing it away uh, and it, that's the only thing that get that gets them by with being able to ride through it and take pictures of it and it not be recognized by the general public is its state of disrepair and its age because when you have you know a man you're riding through you're riding through ancient babylon and all it is is humps of all it is is small humps of weird looking material on the ground that you see while you're traveling through ancient babylon 
Yeah. I mean, before it was excavated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I remember like, I mean, if I, I, I did a, oh gosh, it was a trip to Rome. Oh no, I think it's like a couple of decades ago. Oh, well, but if I, you, if you did that, then you had a chance yeah. to see some of that, but like I, that, which I did. I, I walked in the Roman Colosseum and you know, there was no tours on at the time. It was, you could sort of freely walk around. It was a really sunny day. And I remember like, well, first of all, trying to cross the street to get to the Colosseum um, was like taking your life in your own hands. Like cars don't <laughs> stop, right? It's, it's dash and run and try not to get hit. But I remember being in the Colosseum, and it was like the guts of the Colosseum were exposed, right? It was all stone and all the wood planks, and everything was long, long gone. But you really felt it, Keith. I mean, it was old and decayed, but it got quiet. I mean, you couldn't hear the traffic anymore in the middle of this place. You didn't, if people were talking on the other side of the stadium, you could hear the echoes, and you looked down into the guts, into the you know, like the 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 ribs, the stone ribs of this place, and you think about the people, the bloodshed, and the history. I mean, it was it was a like you say, you almost you're moved, right? Like the stones literally speak. Uh, yes, and you catch that, you know, and. Uh... You know, I'm empathic. I pick up on things, and I pick up on energies and and vibrations and things like that. And you know, as scientific as my mind likes to be, I, I know I'm still a soul that is inhabiting a body. And you know, you as being being that sentient soul that's in that body and empathic, you cannot help but pick up on it because there's the echoes of souls that were there that are embedded. You know, their energies are embedded in that place, and their lives were there, their loves were there, their tragedies were there. They fought and bled. They, you know, everything that humans do on these yeah. animals, yeah. and and so therefore, you know, their spirits imparted there. And if you pick up on it, it may just intuit you towards something that you need to see that we need to know that. You know, and that's the that's the name of this whole uh, you know Mars anomaly game. We're looking at the total unknown. Yeah, you know, we're looking at the surface of another world, and according to our knowledge, there should not be these things that we say there are. And you know that leads us that that leads me a little bit back to your your news item number six. Mm. Your items which says physics is pointing inexorably to mind. Uh, well, and that means. Uh, that's come up a lot lately where you yeah. know we have all these quantum scientists and, and theoreticians are now saying that reality is a state of mind that, that's pretty, yeah, yeah. That, that we perceive you know this is something that we have been saying here for some time yeah that we make our realities yeah we we make our own realities you know and and it goes back to you know something that you read in in religious you know that that you that you believe in that which is not as if it were. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what do you know? Come to find out, humans, we have this kind of magical power where we can imagine something to be and it will shake out that that's how it is in the universe. Well, and, and Keith, what everybody – what Keith's referring to is is another link of mine, and we'll we'll come back to it later because I want to go sort of directly into Keith's – the heart of how he sort of got into this. Not just from his sort of childhood and the history there, and you know the like I say the sort of mystery that he had, but his grandmother had a big piece in this as well. So we're <laughs> going to come back to what that that article. But Keith, I want you to explain what your grandmother used to do, and then I want you to move on to the work that you did with NASA and explain to everybody. We got about ten minutes before the top of the hour. Let's try to cover that because I do want to come into the anomaly, you know, in, into the book that you were involved in, and then you know, kind of launch into the stuff that we get into here on this show. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I was raised by some great, strong women, and my grandmother was one of those, a Chicago native and tough as <laughs> tough as nails. She was only five foot tall, you know, <laughs> and and just fiery and and tough and just of that generation that would not stop. I guess you'd call it the greatest generation or yeah. whatever. Um, but you know, she lived at the beach most most of her life, and. I would go down and visit her periodically, and we would comb the beach. You know, she would get up early in the morning, and we'd go down to the beach and while no one was there or after a storm, um, which was her particular favorite time to go, uh, you know, after a nice storm had come through. And we'd walk through, and, you know, and me going with her, I'd notice I'd be picking up every shell along the beach. Oh, look at this one's cool, and throwing it in the bag. And Grandma, she's only reaching down every once in a while and picking up one, you know. 
right. and at the end of the day, we'd go back, and I'd have a big old bag full of every kind of shell in the darn world and mostly plain. And Grandma would just have a little handful, and she'd walk over there and throw them in her little small jar. And, you know, it never really dawned on me, you know, and I'm looking through mine. You know, after the end of the summer, I'm looking through mine. I've got I've got four or five bag, big old huge bags of shells, and they're all real, rather generic. And Grandma's looking through hers, and she's got a, a, a fish bowl full, and she's got the most unique. She's got the little spiral shells and the little um, – her shells are just, you know, the coolest color yeah. and all that. Beautiful. And I said, well, Grandma, how come, you know, how come yours is so much, you know, looks so much better than mine? She's like, because I only keep the cool ones, dumb I? <laughs> <laughs> right between the eyes, dude. Right between the eyes. <laughs> Look, man, when you're dealing with dragged people, that's the way they are, and you gotta love them for it because yeah. they'll oh, they won't never they'll never lie to you. They'll you'd always yeah. lie where you stand with them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> my grandma was definitely one of those kind of people, but that was a life lesson, you know. Yeah, yeah. it was a life lesson, you know. If and I, I kind of patterned my anomaly hunting after that. Mm. I've seen so many, so many things, but you know, I have a a cut level, you know. Yeah. I have a level beyond, you know, whereas that's common, and then these are uncommon ones. And if you have a collection of only the most uncommon ones, then your collection is elevated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's better than it's it's grandma's cool seashell collection in the small fishbowl that had all the coolest stuff that you know the rare stuff the 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 stuff that proves there is such a thing as a purple nautilus shell or a, you know yeah. yeah you know she's you know it's in there. Do you think this? Do you think this also led you, um, like, in a roundabout way, to be, because uh, you're a coppersmith, you're a master coppersmith, right? I mean, and I've seen your work. I, I, you have it on your website too. Oh, by the way, everybody, Keith does have a link to his castles. He's got some beautiful histories written. You really need to go see it. Keith, did you link up that video too of that castle that you went through as a kid? Uh, uh, no, I sure did, didn't. Okay. Uh, I sure didn't. We didn't. Uh, I, Oh gosh! In preparation for all this stuff, some of the yep. some of the things I had planned kind of had to fall from the wayside. But uh, that's it's a fellow named No uh, and his wife that tour and go through the same. I've seen several of their videos, and then they basically have explored and put on video in-depth tours of all the castles that I love to explore when I lived there and as a kid and could just walk to them. You know, that, like Grafenstein is one of the better preserved empire castles. And I mean, we would walk to it. It was like five clicks, five kilometers from where I lived. And we could walk down a, a wood trail, beautiful hike through the countryside to it and spend yeah. all day there and, and alone at a whole. I mean, there's a whole ruined castle that's in really pretty good shape sitting there to just explore. Yeah. And, and, and as you talk about the stone speaking, mm. as you're there and you're in these places, even even no in his tour now he's speaking in German, him and his wife are, but I happen to speak you know pretty good, pretty decent German at least enough to understand someone who's speaking it you know okay. distinctly, and even I can they're talking about the spirit that they have when they're standing there looking around. Oh my! Because you cannot help it, you're standing yeah. there. This was some. This was someone's fine manor house, and they lived and fought and worked hard to maintain the things that they had at those times. And so, yeah, there's a considerable investment in emotional energy in those stones. And and Keith, there, there there's there's texture. You can touch it, and there's a smell. Whether it's whether it's summer or it's fall, and there's a dank smell. I mean, all of that stuff can start to just turn on every single light in your system. And make you, you know, stand up and notice what's going on around you. Do you know what I mean? I, well, you know, and that's part of the like on the on my on the castle site. If if you know, we don't really want to go there. And no, 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 no. If you yeah. you want to go to my items and uh, yeah, well, I want I, I want. I just want to summarize it. We we might add that link after we might get Cynthia to add the um the the, the castle tour um link. But I want you to quickly go. Just I know we have about five minutes before the top of the hour. Can you explain what what you did for NASA and maybe go to your um, links there? If, if, oh sure. Uh, well, you know I started doing this. I wanted to be NASA boy. I wanted to be I wanted to be you know space space camp like the rest of the guys and you know and and be part of this exploration program. So I interjected myself in by by being good at something, and that's it. That's uh, you know, cleaning the mess out of satellite images and proving it to uh, Mars Web, who were doing the landing site selection 
for uh, spirit and opportunity. And they mm-hmm. had all these bunch of uh, you know, Mars Global Surveyor images that were contracted to be supplied to them by uh, Malin Space Science Cent- uh, Systems, the ones who operated Mars Global Surveyor. But that, but he basically handed them raw data that was unprocessed and went, here you go, because it really wasn't in his contract to hand them processed image imagery. Okay. So he handed them all a bunch of raw image, and he, so you got a bunch of landing site scientists that had all this raw satellite data and you know knew how to open it and everything. But when you just open these images, they look really crappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to apply a little bit of finesse and a little bit, and, and I happen to have some software and, and ability to clean them out, and I – cleaned out several examples and sent them to uh, one of the project managers and said, hey, your images are really crappy. I can fix them. They look like this one. I'm done. And they said, well, hey, why don't you do all of them for me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wow. uh, so I managed to do all the landing site images that made that made uh, the MER 2003 program, Spirit and Opportunity, a success because we had two rovers that landed and stayed there for years and right. years and years. You know, Opportunity yeah. has ended, and they're still trying to revive you know, yeah, I were, um, but yeah, I, mean, I had I managed to be able to be a part in that, and uh, you know, I also volunteered for NASA History, was uh, was doing an online version of a rare uh, NASA picture book that I happened to own a pristine copy of, and I said, hey, you guys need some help with this, and they said sure, so I took my deconstructed my book and scanned all the pictures out of it. And now there's a nice online version of this NASA book. It's an FSP-362 Apollo uh, over the moon, a view from orbit. Mm-hmm. And now you can read that book online and look at all the pictures. And it's, you know, the picture is a big old 11 by 9. You know, the pages are like 11 by 9, big old huge book, you know, great big old mm-hmm. glossy, glossy photos in it. Now you can look at that online um, because of that. And, you know, it's, it's part of my little contributions that, you know, that I've done, and that's also led me to, you know, I've always been requesting images. I, I gosh, I had Mars Global Surveyor returned me almost 96 requested image images, wow. including DNM images, which I've only just discovered that they took. I had been requested them for years, and they never re, they never filled my request for them. And now I see in the archives that they did take Mars Global Survey images of the DNM pyramid, but they never released them until, oh, interesting. until now. Now they're in that. Now they're in the PDS archive. Wow. Well, well Keith, I want to real problem about one about showing us what's really on Mars. So he had a yeah. about it. Well, I want everybody to know that the the two entries that Keith is talking about, and we're a couple minutes top and closing close to the top of the hour, but the two links that he has are under his eyes. So you can do this on your own. You can do this over the break, or do this after the show when you go to the archives. You join Club nineteen point five. Is you go to the um, the other side of midnight.com, go to the show banner, click on Keith's fast link items, and you'll find number one are the MOC images for MER 2003 Spirit and Opportunity landing sites, and number two, the Apollo over the moon, a view from orbit, which was um, basically Keith got involved with NASA, uh, became very adept, and you know had a par excellence level of, of ability of cleaning these images up and and helping the program go forward and helping even in the historical archives. Um, when we come back after the break, we want to start getting into the images, Keith. Yeah, that's where we want to start moving next. Mm-hmm. I, I think we've built enough of a, of a, of a ground uh, here to sort of, you know, Oh, and the other part, I, I mentioned this is that you're a, you're a coppersmith, you're a master coppersmith. So not only does Keith deconstruct this stuff, recognize humanity rolled over, gathered in, dumped on and built over again, but he can also build these magnificent pieces that he does, which is what he does in, uh, in you know, where he lives. Um, now, listen, we are on the other side of midnight.com, and I am your guest host, Andrew Curry, and our guest, as I've been saying many times, is, is uh, Keith Laney, and yeah, no, we're having a great conversation. And when we come back, we will begin to launch into his images. So please um, stay tuned. Yeah, no. oh, you 
19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. 